Welcome everybody to the PFF College Football Podcast live, well not live, <laughs> recorded on a Tuesday afternoon in sunny Montreal, Quebec alongside, I'm PFF Seth alongside uh, my co-host Deontay Lee. Deontay, what's going on? I'm good, man. You know, I'm glad it's sunny for you like it is for me. It's starting to get hot as hell out here. Do you guys have, is it, is the weather in San Diego um, like constant throughout the year, like in terms of is there a lot of variation, I guess, like month to month? Um, month to month, not really. So, like, actually, really, our worst months weather-wise, like from a consistent basis, is actually May and June, which is usually when it gets good for everybody else. But we get, like, heavy marine layer at that point in time in the year. So, like, it'll be really foggy, really gray. So, like, it, we call it May, gray, and June gloom out here. And then usually when that breaks, what? it gets... I know it's so corny, <laughs> so corny. Um, and then, like, really, when it breaks, like in July and August, that's when it starts getting hot as hell. But for the most part, I mean, I say it's hot. Hot means it's eighty-four degrees instead of seventy-six, like it usually is. So it's all relative. I got to do the conversion to Celsius in my head there. Um, oh, all right, uh, we had we just recorded a great interview with uh, Vanderbilt's new general manager. Barton Simmons talking all things recruiting, talking about, um, you know, their approach, their the new staff's approach to um, to Vanderbilt football, trying to build that thing back up. We've seen have we've seen Vanderbilt have good years, like and and obviously under you know under Tony Franklin, it, it was pretty good, not as great under Derek Mason, and obviously they're trying to the new staff there with Clark Lee and Barton Simmons, they're trying to revive it to a certain degree. Um, and we'll get you to that interview in a second. But first, um, there's something uh, we were just talking about off the air and want to get it on. I uh, want to get it recorded. Uh, we've been talking about formation into the boundary. So what does formation into the boundary mean? It means when the offense puts more players into the short side of the field, you know, like a trips formation, normally you're going to see it spread out to the wide side of the field. But formation into the boundary means they're going to put this trips formation. It doesn't have to be a trips formation. Um, but they're going to put their formation, quote unquote, into the short side of the field. And uh, this is something that I think is growing in college football um, year over year. It just keeps getting more teams are doing this. More teams are finding w- different ideas um, to do once you put that formation into, into the boundary in terms of play concepts. So I was curious, um, you know, from your perspective as a defensive coach, what does that do to you? What does that do to a defense when the offense puts their 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 players uh, tightly packed like sardines into the boundary? I mean, it kind of it warps the field. So offenses do it to manufacture space. Um, whether they're manufacturing space to get an isolated throw to the receiver, what the single receiver out to the field, or they're trying to manufacture space for like vertical routes, benders, overs, so that way the quarterback instead of having to be you know, this extremely accurate guy throwing it on a dot, you know, right outside the seam. Now he can kind of throw the air a little bit. So from a defensive perspective, it starts to shrink your playbook. It does the same on the offensive end. Like, don't like, don't get me wrong. I know a lot of offensive coaches will tell you that they can run their entire offense into the boundary. It's not true. There are certain things spatially that You're just don't work. You're here first, ladies and gentlemen. I mean, you know, you can try to run. You can try to run some of that stuff if you want. There's just there's just a certain level of um, there's a certain constraint spatially that happens, at least in the passing game. Um, but yeah, it really shrinks your playbook from a defensive perspective. So if you're a cover three team, and you know whether you're playing nickel or you're playing base, especially if you are playing base, 
it changes the way you can rotate, right? You can't rotate strong anymore if you're a cover three team because you're rotating to nothing, basically. And you'll be pushing all of your big guys, all of your non-cover guys out into the boundary in order to make your numbers equal again. So that's an issue. If you're a cover four team, um, whatever, you know, snazzy uh, quarters check that you might have to three by one, you know, it doesn't necessarily work the same when it's the will that's the overhang instead of your outside leverage nickel player or your Sam that's been trained to be able to handle a number two receiver out to the field. So, you know, you do have to change some things in order to match it up if you still want to run all of your defense. Um, you and I have talked about this. I talked about this with uh, Bud Elliott, actually, on his podcast going into the national championship game about how some of the best defensive coordinators in football have had to change their defensive approach because of this. You know, if you're a field and boundary defense, like, for example, I'm a big Clemson supporter. You know, I'm a big Venables fan. That got him burnt, you know, against Ohio State because his defense is best designed to handle um, offenses that play to the wide side of the field. You know, when you start putting things into the boundary, the way his defense works, there's only so many options that he has, you know, with his typical setup to be able to defend that type of stuff. So when offenses do that to throw those big posts coming back to the field, there are only so many options that he has to defend that, you know it's hard to do, you know, the, the best option for you then is to get into like a dime package if you're really worried about covering down. And now that opens up issues in terms of stopping the run. So it constrains your, it just constrains your playbook the same way in the NFL that Sean McVay's condensed formations started to change the way the defenses had to approach things. Um, you know, Kyle Shanahan playing, you know, a robust passing offense out of 12 and 21 personnel um, you know, all those kind of West Coast offense, outside zone guys, that changes what you can do. So, you know, it does put different constraints on the defense from like a coverage perspective. Uh, would, would you say that this is a, a strategy that we will see continue to be employed more and more from an offensive perspective? I think when you if you're an offense and you're dealing with the team that A, is field and boundary based or B, likes to pressure a lot. So, again, going back to Clemson, he does both. He's a field and boundary defense, and he wants to blitz the hell out of you. Um, you know, when you're dealing with defenses like that, it's a great changeup because now if you have all your bodies to the boundary, you can run screens. You can run different kind of quick game stuff. Your RPOs are different. Um, when you want to throw the ball down the field, you don't have to worry about some crazy rotation that you should that you couldn't see coming, um, you know, where weak safety is now rolling over to the strong half and they're super rotating the defense and things like that. It, it doesn't work the same kind of way. So I do think that you'll see more offenses, and we have seen more of these spread offenses embrace this. Um, I think that we'll probably see it continue to expand, um, especially like for these offenses that don't have talent advantages over the defenses that they're playing. You know, it's all about being able to manufacture explosive plays, and that's definitely a great way to do it. Yeah, I think, you know, thinking about, not being, you know, having the talent disadvantage, like you said, for offenses. I think that's something that I've been thinking about for a while. It's just we might see more. I mean, tempo we've seen for 20 years now, but tempo used to be we're running and we're running in the same formation. Now I feel like we're getting into a space, a space where it's tempo to give you a look that you hadn't seen before. Whether right. that's a formation into the boundary, whether that's an unbalanced formation, maybe we can talk mm -hmm. about that next week. Just because you got to get lined up so quickly as a defense, and 
you know, if you're not if you're if you're not a field boundary team and you're and you're traveling with the nickel, all of a sudden that that that's a whole another thing you got to deal with. Well, where is where is the strength of the formation now? You know, if we're unbalanced, if we're formation into the boundary and all that stuff. So yeah, I think it's something that we're going to keep seeing. I, also, just to clarify for people uh, listening, when we say formation, a defense that is that is field and boundary, what we I guess what we mean is usually it's the Sam linebacker or the nickel who is always, like, if you're a field and boundary team, he is always going to be aligned to the wide side of the field. So he'll just stand there waiting for the offensive formation to to present itself and, and hearing his defensive call. And then if it is formation into the boundary, if there's no kind of slot receiver over him, he's still there. He's not going to travel over to the weak side and the kind of, like, they're going to try and, like, in a sense, mirror um, the, the formation. Uh, so he'll stay there. So that's when we say field and boundary, that's kind of what we mean. Um, all right, let's get to this uh, interview with Barton Simmons. Thanks for uh, thanks for listening to us ramble on about uh, permission to the boundary. All right, all right, we are now joined by Barton Simmons, general manager of Vanderbilt Football. Uh, Barton, welcome to the PFF College Football Podcast. Thank you. I appreciate you having me. Um, big fan. Enjoy your work. Uh, so uh, happy to happy to talk ball. Uh, let's, let's get started with your kind of history to where you are right now, which is sitting, um, right behind Vanderbilt stadium, as I can see in through uh, the window, um, you're from Nashville originally. Um, and I believe you played linebacker at, in, at the high school level, and then were able to play linebacker at Yale. So how did that come about a, you know, your recruiting process? I'm curious about how you get to Vanderbilt and B, what type of linebacker were you, what position did you play? You know, Mike Samuel, that type of thing. Well, I was, um, I, I kind of, I, I maybe ended up as like a glorified linebacker, but I was, a, I was actually a safety. So I played, I played wide receiver and safety in high school. Um, and then I went to, to Yale and played safety up there. Um, and actually Vanderbilt offered me a gray shirt and they were kind of borderline recruiting me at wide receiver. And that told me all I needed to know about the future of Vanderbilt football, because (laughs) I was not good enough to play wide receiver in the SEC. And I knew that full well. Um, but, uh, but no, I went up to Yale. It was like, a I had, um, like Yale, Furman, Duke, and Vanderbilt were like the four schools I was choosing from. And, and I took officials to all of them, but Furman, um, and Duke was just, I just didn't like my official, didn't enjoy it. Vanderbilt was like super close to home, like five minutes away. And it was a gray shirt offer. And I felt like they were just, it was just like a pity offer or something. And, and Yale was like, if I was going to go one double a, then, uh, you know, I had to get that Ivy league degree, uh, cause I wouldn't get an Ivy league degree if I, if I didn't have football <laughs> attached to it. So, um, so I went up there and, you know, uh, had a, had a fun career up there. It was, it was, uh, it was, a, it was a good place to play ball. Um, we had a really good group of guys on our team and, um, it was, uh, and I played all four years and had an injury one year. And so was there for five seasons. And, um, unfortunately, lost to Harvard four times, but other than that, it was a, it was, it was a good time. I was going to ask. So I saw that you had logged over 200 career tackles. So play style wise, you a thumper type as a safety. I was. Yeah. I mean, I'd like, like I said, I honestly, so I was, uh, I kind of, I, I, I as the, my career progressed, like my backpedal 
got like less and less integrated into my playing style. It was just more like they would just set me in the hole. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, by my senior year, like we had a, so we actually had a, um, then when our bus drives, uh, to, to trip to, to, um, games, like I, I was always one of the guys that would pick the movies. And every time I was picking the movie, I would always pick, y'all remember the movie Willow? Mm-hmm. Movie Willow? Mm-hmm. Willow was like my movie with like the dwarfs that would like battle. Uh, uh, and, and so by my senior year, they had designed a defense and they called it Willow because I loved the movie so much where I was literally like, it was a dime package and they just sit me in the middle of like, you know, like a linebacker depth. And I just sort of had free reign to just do what I wanted. And so it was, uh, it was, again, like I said, you know, the more and more we got into it, the, the, the more I just turned into a kind of a glorified linebacker. I mean, look, you're not the only person in the world who's moved kind of in closer to the line of scrimmage, especially <laughs> like you said, as their, as their back pedal kind of dries up a bit. I went to, I've been to, you know, like I don't live in college football world here, but I've been to um, not many college football games, but one of those games has been a Yale Harvard game. And really? There you go. Yeah. I, I want to say like 2011, 2012, I should have looked this up beforehand, but it was, it was a game that went down to the wire. And one of the teams, I, f- I wish I remember who one of the teams did a fake punt on like fourth and 20 from their own. I was at that game, game too. Yeah, I was there. It was, it was the most ridiculous call in the history of calls. Yale was winning. <laughs> Yale was winning. And like, and they were a big underdog and it was like fourth and 21 at their own, like 25 yard line. And they called a fake punt, and it didn't. And, and, and were close to getting like you. twelve yards or something. Yeah, and they, uh, they didn't convert. They did not convert, and then Harvard drove down and won. So that's a, that's a special teams coordinator trying to get a raise or a new job. <laughs> something. Yeah, that one, that one is uh, that one will haunt Yale forever. I think. One of the things that I that I tell people when I ask about like you know going to to see that game in particular was. What I th- the thing I thought that was really cool, maybe I'm over-exaggerating a bit, but it was felt like the, the only time I will ever get close to going in a time machine. Yeah. Like it's, it, they try and make it. Um, I mean, it, it's, it's just like Yale Harvard. That's it. Like that. It's just the game. And, yeah. and you're in that big oval. Like I, I went to uh, the game at Yale and mm-hmm. you know, you're in that big oval stadium um, that, that is, probably hasn't been renovated in I don't know how long. And right. it's just a really cool, it's just a really cool setting. Um, that's obviously different than going to pro- probably most uh, major college football games. No. Yeah, it is cool. And there's, you know, you got like generations of uh, people that are out there with their, um, you know, kids and grandkids and they're someone wearing fur coats and drinking champagne or whatever. It is. Like, it's just like, a, and then you got like the college kids who just, you know, they, they may be, nerdy but they'll party for that game man uh and they're out there getting after it and so um it's uh it's a scene now it's and then the funny thing too for that game also is like a lot of times it's like the only game that the kids will go to and so they don't really know football that well but they have like the school spirit and so like i remember in, in one of our years in the game our team was down there on the sideline or on the the goal line and our quarterback was using his hands to try to quiet the crowd and the, and the, 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 the crowds, the home crowd, like did, the, the students didn't know he was trying to quiet them. He was trying, he thought he was trying to like get them up and get them louder. 
And so they, they got louder and like, it didn't really work. And so, uh, but that's just sort of the, that that's, that's the nature of it there with the, with the Ivy league fandom. That's a good deal. So I do want to kind of uh, touch on your role and kind of your pathway leading up to this. So you've been an analyst at rivals. You were out up front, you know, as an analyst at 24 seven, I actually had filled in for you right around the time that you had announced that you were uh, heading over to Vandy when uh, I did Bud's podcast That's right. national yeah. championship. So we got to speak a little bit, you know, off air about kind of like your process preparing for this role. So what have you taken from your job at rivals in 24 seven that really prepped you for the GM position that you have now? I think, um, you know, the thing that I've, it's really honestly like the, the irony of this deal is so, you know, I've got a really good relationship with our head coach. I've known him since I was, um, we, we kind of grew up together. And, uh, I think ironically, like I wouldn't, I don't know that I would necessarily have been confident to be prepared for this in the way that I am. Um, maybe as recently as like, I don't know, four years ago, five years ago, something like that. Um, because I, I've, I've got sort of the background in recruiting and I've got the relationships and all that sort of there. Um, and I've got experience, uh, certainly in evaluating players and, um, but I think really over the last five years, and I say that that's kind of an arbitrary number, but in, in my recent relative, like professional history, like I've started to really like turn the corner on not just sort of like covering recruiting and try to really try to like kind of crack it a little bit more. And, um, and that's, and one of the ways that's, you know, sort of allowed me to work through that is I'm doing a lot more college football coverage as well. And so like, I'm, you know, it's, it's, to me, it's not really about just like the recruiting process anymore. It hadn't become that it'd become more about like, all right, where do these guys come from? Like what works, what doesn't work like studying a lot more, um, uh, you know, why things went right, why things went wrong. And, you know, and then honestly, like it's the perfect storm for me to be here as well, because I've always had an up close, uh, look at Vanderbilt, um, and from when I was a kid, uh, to, you know, just I covered Vanderbilt when James Franklin was here. And like, I'm, so I've, 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 I've studied it closely. So I guess all that to say is I've, I've just sort of rid road ridden the wave of uh, the recruiting industry. But um, more recently I sort of started to turn the corner and be a lot more analytical in the way I look at things. And I think that's helped me kind of step into this role with, with a game plan as opposed to just trying to replicate, you know, everything that everybody else does. So I'm, I'm curious about that game plan. Cause I was thinking about myself. Uh, I mean, I'm always thinking about myself, but uh, uh, in the, in a, in the way that, so like, let's say I, you know, someone tells me tomorrow, uh, you're going to go coach a, you know, a D one football team. And it's mm -hmm. like, I have my offense ready. It exists in this in right here. It exists. Okay. In the brain. But then if, the, if I went to a school and they were like, okay, but actually you can't run that offense because you're, you know, the, the, you don't have the athletes for it or whatever. You got to run the wishbone. I don't know. You got to run a wing T or right. something. I don't know. So I'm curious if that's the same thing. Cause then you go from, uh, you know, the national covering it at a national level. And now you're, now you're at Vanderbilt who probably, you certainly can't get the same athletes that even some people in your own division can get. So mm -hmm. how does that kind of game plan 
change when you're going from the national level to now specifically Vanderbilt? Well, I think, you know, one of the things that I've always um, loved most about the job, because like, look, the reality is as much as my job at 24 seven had a significant scouting element to it, like I wasn't really just like a scout isn't really what that job is. It's, it's all the other things. And then like scouting is sort of weaved in there. And, but the scouting part of it is really the thing that I enjoyed the most probably. And, um, and so I've, and, and so in taking that interest, like Vanderbilt in a lot of ways really does fit, um, to, to, to sort of, um, play to the, some of the things I've been cultivating, and the way I've looked at things, because look, I, I think it's particularly early on, like if, if, if Vanderbilt is going to get uh, a five-star kid, like why is that guy going to Vanderbilt where we've struggled over the last few years and we we're Oh nine last year, as opposed to all the blue bloods. And so I think like, identifying that and understanding, like, we need to understand like what our fit is. We need to understand what our niche is. We need to understand, uh, you know, what we can win with and, and really be like disciplined within that, uh, and, and, and hold ourselves accountable to that. Um, and like really lean into and embrace the idea that there's an academic institution with high academic standards and, and this is going to attract high achieving people. And we want high achieving people that like are excited about that opportunity on and off the field. Like all those things, I think provide us a niche to really be successful here. And, and I say that as it relates to your question in that, like, I think that this is a job where smart strategic, uh, uh, a, a smart strategic approach to like the, the, the personnel building, the talent acquisition is like the only way to get it done here. Like you can't just sort of like bang your head against the wall and just recruit. Like you, you have to, I think be, be, have a really strong game plan and really like strong principles as to how you're going to build this. And look like you can't build it here at Vanderbilt without NFL players. Like that is a, that is a non-negotiable. Like we have to have NFL players on this roster. So we have to be smart enough to understand how you get NFL players on this roster and, and really zero in on like what the traits are that are going to, uh, that, that, that we can, that, that we can pinpoint and pluck out and, and value in ways that maybe some others don't. Um, and, 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 and then count on our staff to develop because that's like, truthfully, that is what is going to allow this to work here is I sat here. I was one of the first people in this building that, that, that Clark Lee hired. And I sat in here and I watched a conveyor belt of coaches come in here and get interviewed. I mean, it was an exhaustive interview process for every position. And that was intentional. Like, like we have got to have the best, coaching staff in college football. We have to have the best developmental program in college football. And so if we have that, and I think we do, I'm, I'm incredibly confident and excited about the, the, the people in this building, but if we can't have that, it allows me and us to just go find the, the raw materials 
that they will get and then, and then, uh, and then expect them to get on this campus and get developed every day and get better every day. And then we got a chance. And then, you know, down the road, as this thing continues to build, yeah, maybe we don't do go and get the five-star number one player in the country, but like, we have to understand who we are and what our strengths are and, and who our fit is. And in doing that, like, I, I think that the, the, the things that I've been sort of studying and working through kind of fit this job because there's a lot of jobs that I could go to where it's like, that's really not the expectation. The expectation is like, you better sign a number one class in the country or else like, and, and that's just, that's not how we're going to do it. And, um, and I think that that's exciting because I feel confident in like the, the strategy and plan we've got in place. PFF and Sunday night football's Chris Collinsworth is teaming up with one of the best players on and off the field, 49ers All-Pro cornerback Richard Sherman. The Chris Collinsworth podcast featuring Richard Sherman is available now wherever you find your podcast. They will provide the most interesting football conversation in sports every week. And sometimes that means the discussion will venture off the field too. Additionally, Chris will be taking a dive into the game of football as he sees it, inviting in the best and brightest to talk about everything that is happening in the great game of football. Mark your calendars. You do not want to miss the best 60 minutes of insight this season. In these uncertain times, life is full of questions like, when should I start thinking about life insurance? But however difficult these questions may be, Western and Southern can help you answer them. Backed by over 130 years of experience together, we can look ahead to leave the unknown behind. Western and Southern Financial Group, life insurance, retirement, investments. So that actually kind of leads me to what I was really interested in asking. So I'm a West Coast guy and a USC fan. So watching what happened with Stanford over like the back half of the 2000s um, obviously broke my heart a bit, you know, because there's a lot of pain in that as a fan. But one of the things that I always found very honorable and admirable about that program is that it was clear that. Harbo was able to step in and say a lot of the same things that you are kind of um, articulating now, whereas the style of play has to match the exact same kind of kid we're recruiting. The kind of kid we're recruiting has to match the exact same kind of kid that gets admitted here. That's not a football player. So in terms of alignment, you know, when you're sitting down with, uh, with Clark Lee and you guys are talking about this, you know, not only from a year to year standpoint, but, you know, over the stretch of a cycle, over the stretch of your guys' contracts, you know, what is that conversation like as far as making sure that there is an alignment from you as a personnel guy, him as a head coach, the position coaches, just everybody in the field house, you know, what is, what are those conversations like in terms of talent acquisition and development? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think, um, I mean, I think alignment here is, is really important. I think that's sort of one of my, my roles because, like one thing we talk about here, we have talked about here is like the, like protecting the 10 year vision of this roster. Um, and the idea that building this thing is going to be about like creating a foundation, building it right, building it slowly. And, and when I say slowly, like it's important, like we're, that we're, we're absolutely not like um, excusing and, and, and sort of, uh, deferring any early success. I mean, we want to be successful right now. We want to win this year. Like there, there's no question about any of that, but we're not going to uh, compromise the, the, the long-term vision for short-term fleeting gains. And so within that, it's, it, it's important that the, 
the coaching staff is aligned. The, the uh, head coach is aligned. The personnel is aligned. It all matches up and fits together. And in, in a way, I think that's part of partly my role is to, um, to marry those things together and, and really kind of make sure like hold the staff ourselves accountable to what those, those long-term visions are like, um, make sure that our roster reflects on a, on a year to year basis, on a position by position basis, the way we've sort of mapped this thing out from the, from the outset. And so, um, that's, that's all I think very much in play. Um, uh, and I think that's critical. And I mean, I think one thing that is, you know, you, you sort of, there's a reality in college coaching that, uh, coaches just, I mean, the, the nature of the business is they are often gone within three years. They recruit a, a group of position players that they never fully see through as, a, as graduates. And so there's, there is just a inherent motivation to, um, uh, to, to, Hey, look, I'm going to sign as many guys as I can. I'm going to look good in the recruiting rankings and I'm going to be off to a better gig. And I don't expect I, none of our coaches are approaching it like that here in this building. It's a low ego building and that's been awesome. But the, 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 the reality is just there. It's just like a, uh, and so one of the, the things that, that we've got to do is just, again, make sure that there are no sacrifices in the short term for, um, for, you know, for anything other than making sure Vanderbilt is built to be a successful program over an extended long-term vision. And, um, and, and I think all that to your point, like just matches together um, and, 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 and in a way that a lot of people, I think, don't have the, the patience um, to do. Like, like it, it's real easy to jump in and just be like, you know what? I want to get some commits and get some headlines and uh, win quick and we'll get the new next job. Like, I'm from here. Clark is from here. He went to school here. We got four guys on this staff that played here. Um, you know, everyone is really invested in this place to, to be successful beyond – this year. Um, and, and so it's important that you, you build that right from that sense. So following up off of that, you kind of touched on, you know, the fact that this is a hometown deal for you and for Clark. Um, so that kind of bring, that makes me interested in what your guys's conversations are as far as a recruiting imprint, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, for you guys, especially because the academic standard is the academic standard at Vanderbilt, you know, it might not be just within your 500 mile radius. Right. So when you guys are having conversations about where you're looking to identify talent and bring talent in from, you know, what is that like in terms of your borders as, as recruiting goes? Sure. Well, I think as with anything we do here, it's, you know, it's important for us to learn from the past and study it and, and, let that inform uh, some of our future decisions. And so, you know, Deontay, you're from California, Seth, you're, you're Canada guy, like far Northeast. <laughs> so I don't know how much you guys have like really paid attention to Vanderbilt football, but if you rattle off like the, the ring of honor or whatever you want to call it for the Vanderbilt greats, it's, it's Jordan Matthews. It's, Earl Bennett, it's Zach Cunningham. It's, uh, you know, it's a lot of guys 
uh, Hunter Hillenmeyer. Um, you, you know, it's, it's guys that are from Tennessee and it's guys for that are from Alabama. Like those are two areas that has been proven to be like regularly successful here. Georgia, there's been a lot of really good players there as well. And the, the point being is that there have been, a, a you know, a couple isolated, you know, success stories from areas outside of sort of the, the, the footprint of Vanderbilt, but, and we're going to continue to, um, you know, when there's a fit, uh, we're going to, we're going to lean into it and, and look for it and embrace it, but we're not going to devote resources to like recruiting California. We're, we're not going to, we're not going to have an area guy for, uh, you know, the, the, the Pacific Northwest, like we're going to recruit our footprint. Um, and we're going to have, and, and, and we're going to recruit Tennessee hard. We're going to recruit Alabama hard and we're going to recruit Georgia hard. And we're going to, and look, Nashville is in an incredible location, uh, for football talent, like in, uh, on the planet, there's not a more, uh, populated talent rich area than the Southeastern part of the, the United States. So why would we like then spend a bunch of time flying all over the country? Uh, we'll do that as necessary. Like we're not going to shy away from that, but we're, we're going to, um, you know, as, as it relates to just sort of allotment of resources, like we want this, this area where we were sitting in the midst of, uh, to be uh, a, a, a hotbed for us mining out really, you know, talented football players. Yeah, I was actually curious about, you know, Nashville and, and Tennessee as a whole, because, you know, we've seen, uh, you know, the volunteers kind of not be that program that we all thought they were going to be forever in the, in the, you know, as of the early 2000s, late 90s, whatever it is. But then I'm like, wait a minute, I, I feel like, you know, recruiting plays a big part into a program success. And I'm like, you know, Tennessee, Nashville, they're producing a ton of players. So I'm just curious, like what, what is Nashville? How has it changed over, you know, Nashville and then I guess Tennessee as a whole, like how has the recruiting grounds there changed over the last, whatever it is, 30, 20, 10 years, you know, since you've been around it for so long. Yeah. Well, I mean, I can, um, I just remember back when I was playing. So I was um, my senior year, I was on like the, elite 11 or whatever they called it, like the mid state, you know, top players, all divisions. And I was, cause I moved recently and I kind of stumbled onto like the, um, the newspaper clipping and it was, you know, it was me. It was another teammate of mine that went to Yale with me. It was our quarterback, Ingle Martin, who ended up going to Florida. Um, and it was like, you know, it was a guy that went to Memphis. It was a guy that went to Tulsa. It was um, a couple guys that maybe went one double A. Like it was a very, you know, underwhelming list of like colleges. Um, and that's just like, I mean, that's a thing of the past. I mean, in Nashville now it is SEC, FBS, power five all over the place, um, which is great, obviously. And that, and, and, and you can, you can extend Nashville like Murfreesboro, um, Brentwood, which is just South Williamson County. Like, um, there, there's just a bunch of, there, there, you know, there's just so, I mean, the population has, has blown up in this area and, and to that, like it's, it's also become a popular place to recruit. So you got a lot more coaches fishing in this pond and, 
Um, but I think, again, there's a real opportunity given our head coach's history in this, in this town, in this city, in this state, you know, we've, uh, a bunch of coaches that we played against growing up, um, are still coaching in, in, and major programs in this state, a bunch of players that we played against growing up are now head coaches in this state. A bunch of players we played with growing up are now head coaches in this state. And so I think that we've got an opportunity as this state has continued to, to, to explode with, with population and with talent to, um, to get the right guys. And again, it's always going to be about getting the right guys. And, it, and, and we're going to have to probably say no to some guys along the way that are really good players and just trust that um, whatever, wherever those guys go, whatever success they may have, like we just have to trust that the guys we are getting are the right guys. And so it's about continuing to stay disciplined with that, but also just, you know what, like, being uh, engaged in this coaching community, being engaged in the States and, and, and prioritizing it in a meaningful way. And, and I think, um, I think we can get the right guys. Uh, and, 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 and you know what, it's already, it, it's, it's been really exciting and like energizing to um, have some of the conversations that we've had to this point, because I think a lot of the state it, it really wants Vanderbilt to be successful. So, on that, you know, when you guys are kind of setting up your your goal board, you know, everybody has their different little pyramid of success, whatever it may be um, in these buildings. Um, I know that, you know, the most successful programs are able to take things and make it their own. Um, but when you're looking at, you know, when you're looking at the rest of the college football landscape, is there any program or programs or, you know, types of approaches that you guys are thinking of modeling yourselves after? Or do you guys approach this like, Vanderbilt's got to be a one-on-one um, as we build this thing out. I, I honestly, um, the, the truth is like, we really believe that this is, this is a unique place and we can really make it its own niche. And, and there, that's not to say that there isn't some level of, Hey, I mean, yeah, yeah, like there's academic schools are obviously programs that are facing some of the same challenges that we face. And, and by, and challenge is even a word that I don't really even love to use with it. Like we're embracing the opportunities here. Um, and, and I think one of the things that's, that's really exciting is look, we got a brand new facility that's about to be built $300 million investment coming from the university. We got a new chancellor, a new athletic director that's, that's been here. Our head coach played here. These are all people that came back and have stayed and believe passionately in this place. And and, and even with that, look, there's been some, some like hard times within the football program in terms of, of finding success, but we believe we and, and that, that this is a place that's like incredibly uniquely positioned. I mean, it is, we are playing in the best conference in college football. It's the third best conference in the world uh, after the AFC and the NFC. And it's a, it's a conference that has a bunch of schools that all really kind of look alike except for us we're the one outlier in this conference. And so I, I think that we believe because we're a small private school. We're the high, we're one of the top academic programs in the country. So, and we're in a great city. And so, you know, th this is all recruiting pitches certainly that have been used before, but we believe that because of that, because of the investment and the alignment right now in this place, you know, coach Lee has said consistently, like we're, we're, we're dreaming this totally anew. Um, this is team one. You know, everything is, is, 
there is no telling what we can accomplish here. And, um, the truth is like everyone in this building, like believes that with total conviction. And what's also exciting too, is like the, not, not only are, are, do we have players, former players that are back here on the staff, but even like Lamar Morgan is our cornerbacks coach. He's at, you know, he was at Louisiana before. Um, and look, Billy Napier is going to get a big time job at some point. He didn't have to leave. Um, he was a GA here before, like he came back and has been on the coaching side and believes in what this place, uh, is going to be able to accomplish. And so, uh, I, I just think we're, we got a lot of optimism around here and, and we are certainly going to, you know, uh, you know, take the lessons that, that Clark has learned at Notre Dame and, and, and understands, you know, what places are going to have similar, um, situations to us that we can, we can try to continue to learn from. But I, I do think that this is a unique place with a unique fit and a unique niche that, that we can sort of dream totally, uh, from the ground up and, and just build this thing right. Uh, all right. Before we get you out of here, I just had, well, first of all, I, I wanted to say that um, your, your head coach probably ran one of my favorite defenses uh, last season. I thought it was like a very, it's like a modern twist on, on like a classic four man front type of defense, I guess you would say um, just, it helps when you have special players there and he had a, he had a, he had a few, but at the same time, uh, one of my favorite defenses to watch how they were doing a lot of modern stuff there. Um, but uh, my question to you is going back to your time at, at, at two, four, seven and on the recruiting side there, what, like off the top of your head, what is the kind of like the position or position that you think have maybe changed the most in terms of maybe body type? in terms of maybe athletic ability uh, that you've seen over these past, uh, you know, 10 years or whatever it's been. I think the obvious one is linebacker. Like it's um, it is, you know, the linebacker position to me, I'll say this, like you, when you think about our, where is speed most important? You think about wide receiver, you think about cornerback um, and, and that, and speed is obviously good for those positions. But one of the things I like, guess I've studied through this thing, I've found that some of our, my misses have been uh, guys that are, you know, where speed is their top trait as opposed to and, and at the receiver position. Whereas like a linebacker, it's, it's, that's actually what I've found to be the position that most highly correlates to success, just pure athleticism, pure combine numbers. Like how athletic are they? Can they run sideline to sideline? Can they play in space? Do they play running back in high school? Um, you know, do they, you know, because like uh, a linebacker in today's game has to do so much and is such this, this, uh, you know, is put in all these binds. And, and so I think, it's been, you know, that, that is absolutely one. I think, um, you know, another one is just, I mean, really all of them I, I could sort of talk about, but, uh, I also really think that when you look at just sort of the offensive line position, um, at least in the way that, that I believe in it, like that's a position where you recruit athletes and you build them up into, into physical players and, you know, you want a mindset and that's important, but, um, as with a lot of this stuff, like the athleticism comes first, the, you know, the, you want the length, you want the athleticism, uh, you know, the, the 330 pound guy is 
is not necessarily going to be the guy that, that is going to be the long-term success story. He may be more successful in high school. Um, but, uh, and, and, and like, that's just sort of a little bit of a, a snip of sort of like the mindset here, like we're going to find the raw materials position by position. And then we're going to trust this, this hallway of just stud coaches, uh, to, to pull it out of them. Uh, do, do you have, you know, you talked about the communication between you and the head coach. Is there communication between you and the position coaches into finding the type of player that, that fits what they want and what the whole, you know, the whole project is going after? Yeah, no doubt. We're, we're in fact, we're, we're pretty, um, we're pretty active, um, sort of going through this stuff as a staff, um, and talking about players as a staff. And I think it's been incredibly helpful keeping everyone on the same page, everyone seeing what everyone else is seeing. And, and it's allowed us to just have total, you talk about alignment, like, you know, we've got a handful of commits at this point with more, more on the way. And we got total alignment on, on how we view those guys. Um, you know, what, you know, how we plan on using them and, and sort of what we need to supplement those guys and, and things of that nature. And so, I really believe in that. Um, you know, this is, this is absolutely not some operation where I'm just in here picking players. Like this is an operation where it's very collaborative. Um, and that's, that's going to be the case schematically too, I think. Um, and this, that's a little more your wheelhouse Seth, but like, I think you're going to see us, um, a program that is, uh, uh, adaptive, uh, in terms of both offensively and defensively, to, to what our strengths are. Um, and, and that's, that's, I think built from a mindset that comes from our coaching staff that is extremely collaborative and, uh, uh, you know, low ego, frankly. And, and I think it's been really fun sitting in this office, just like seeing it, um, the, some of that, that, that effort come to light has been, has been really cool. And I think it's going to be produce some, some, some really good units. All right, Barton, general manager of Vanderbilt football. Thank you for joining us here on the, uh, on the podcast. It was a pleasure. Anchor down. Y'all come out to a game sometime. Uh, we'll Absolutely. be there. We'll when, be when, whenever the border opens, I'll be there. <laughs> Take my tour of America. Yeah, I'll definitely be in touch. All right. Well, there you have it, boys and girls. Our interview with Vanderbilt's uh, Barton Simmons. Uh, I've, I've, we know each other on Twitter for a while, you know, communicated a little bit uh, through that medium. Never talked to him before. And this is really, a, he just seems like a guy that that knows what he's doing there. Um, trying, to, trying to fix Vanderbilt football. So good luck to them. And we will see you next week.